This is 100 Days of Dante, a podcast journey through Dante's divine comedy, one canto at a time. Join us online at 100daysofdante.com. Let's read together. Now, if you're like me, your notes for Canto 24 of the Inferno might have looked something like this. Dante and Virgil cross a bridge. This is not one of those headliner cantos that everybody gravitates to. And in some ways, that's nice, because it can serve as a test case to see how much we can trust Dante. Is he going to use this canto just as a way of moving his protagonist from here to there? Or is even this canto going to have an idea that ties everything together and drives us into a deeper reflection on ourselves and God's world? You can roughly divide Canto 24 into three sections. In the first, the focus is on Virgil, who's recovering from the frustrations of Canto 23. In the second, the focus is on Dante, who's trying to ascend out of the pit of hypocrisy. And in the third, the focus is on Vanni Fucci and the endless cycles of destruction and reconstitution in the circle of thieves. Now, I'm going to argue that the thread that holds these three sections together is the concept of change, particularly the dynamics of changefulness and stability inside of a human person, both on earth and in hell. So I'm going to go through the canto section by section to see how each stage of the canto is returning to that idea and investigating it in a different way. The first movement of the canto is an extended analogy about frost and snow in a farmer's field. Now, this is actually the most notable section of this canto to Dante scholars because it's an unusually long and elaborate portrait for the Inferno and because it actually takes us out of hell for a minute and reminds us of the hopes and beauties of life on earth. Here's what it's doing in this canto. You can recall that in Canto 23, Virgil discovered that the demons had tricked him into believing there was another bridge he and Dante could use to traverse the ditch of hypocrisy, essentially sending the pair on a wild goose chase in a dangerous neighborhood of hell. Now, on the one hand, the fact that demons living in the circle of the fraudulent would lie doesn't actually seem super surprising. But remember, Virgil is here under the authority of God to be Dante's guide. The fact that he has been duped by demons in this way actually throws a ton of things into question. Is God really the authority here in deep hell? Is Virgil competent to the task that he's been set, or is he out of his depth, literally? Is Dante safe, or is this journey towards salvation actually going to end in disaster? At root, the question is, how strong is hell? Can it overcome God's purposes? It's in this context that Dante, looking at Virgil's face, imagines a farmer looking out onto his fields. It's the end of winter, and his stored-up fodder is almost used up. He's counting on being able to send his sheep out into the fields to eat, but when he looks out onto his field in the morning, he sees it covered in white. He panics, thinking the white is snow, which will make it impossible to feed his flocks. But... After a moment of fear, he returns and sees signs of hope. The white covering the ground isn't snow at all. It's just an early morning frost that will soon melt away in the sun. Now, this metaphor works on a number of levels at this stage of hell. Primarily, it describes Virgil's state. Virgil has been both angry and disturbed that he's been duped and then run off by the demons. For perhaps the first time in the poem, we see Virgil changed by circumstances. And Dante, like the farmer, retreats into his house in dismay that the fields that he had put his hope in are covered with snow. 
But then as he, as soon as he looks at Virgil again, he sees that the snow he thought he saw was only a frost quickly warmed by the sun. Virgil has returned to his true self again and takes his place as guide, helping Dante to find a route up the ruins of the toppled bridge. In the same way, the sense that the duo are in danger here in deep hell turns out to be merely frost. The demons mislead them, but the hypocrites lead them aright, and they soon find a place where they can ascend the broken wall. God's provision remains, even in the midst of apparent danger. In this moment, we see an apparent changefulness undergirded by a true stability. Both Virgil and God's purposes seem to be changeable in this passage, but their true selves stay constant. The second movement of the canto is the climb itself, in which Dante is almost bested by the ditch of hypocrisy. It's worth taking a moment here to question why it would be that Christ's harrowing of hell would have toppled this particular bridge and forced Dante and Virgil to walk among the hypocrites. Some commentators have speculated that perhaps Dante is suggesting that Christ's coming actually makes hypocrisy more tempting or more dangerous. At any rate, we know that it's extremely difficult for Dante to ascend out of it. And at the top, he's caught in another kind of changefulness, pretending to be okay when actually he's completely out of breath. Now, if we take this section to be indicative of Dante's own struggles with hypocrisy, then Virgil's exhortation is interesting. He tells him not to be content with getting out of the pit, but to keep ascending. He says, a long ladder is still to be climbed. It's not enough to have left them behind. Now, we can take this to mean that it's not enough for Dante to simply have avoided the pitfall of hypocrisy, to have the negative virtue of being not a hypocrite, but that he needs to ascend to a higher positive virtue, maybe something like holy authenticity. Whereas in the first movement, we saw Dante seeming changeful, but being constant, here we see that Dante is in need of a true change. And all this sets us up for the final scene of the canto, Dante and Virgil's look at the seventh pit of Malbolge, the pit of thieves. The first thing to notice about this pit is all of the Genesis 3 imagery here. The souls are naked, tortured by snakes, looking for a place to hide themselves or make themselves invisible. Now, all of this should harken back to the scene in the garden where the snake exposes to Adam and Eve their nakedness by enticing them with stolen fruit making them desire the impossible to hide themselves from God. This return to Genesis 3 is made especially interesting when we think about it alongside the image of the phoenix, which is usually a symbol for Christ's death and resurrection. And the souls in this pit are caught in a cycle of counterfeit resurrection. The snake's bite reduces them to ash, and then they return to their human form again. This hellish parody of the Ash Wednesday reminder that we are ashes to ashes and dust to dust only exemplifies the difference between these souls and us. For while we remind ourselves in Lent that because of the snake we are destined to return to ashes, we do this in the present hope of a true resurrection in which this cycle will be broken and we will be like the phoenix who is an image of Christ truly and permanently raised. If we take these three cases together, I think we get the point of Dante's triptych. Everyone in hell is static, both Virgil and the thieves, despite their endless faux resurrections. At the end of the day, nothing changes here. Sometimes that's largely a good thing. Virgil can be relied upon to stay rational and benevolent. Sometimes it's tragic. 
no amount of death and resurrection will truly alter the thieves. But in either case, the tragedy is that they're stuck. Now Dante stands in contrast to all of this, as do we, because he can truly change as Virgil urges him to do. In Dante's universe, Satan is the one who is enclosed in ice by his own choice and descent towards him is descent into less and less change, less and less true motion. But as God is the source of light and heat and all movement, he is the source of the true motion of the soul away from the heavy constraints of sin and toward the vibrant life of God. Thank you for reading Dante's Divine Comedy with us. Continue the journey at 100daysofdante.com. 100 Days of Dante is brought to you by the Baylor University Honors College with support from the Tory Honors College at Biola University, the Templeton Honors College at Eastern University, the University of Dallas, Whitworth University, and Gonzaga University in Florence.